Welcome to Paintbrush and Ivories, the podcast for artists and curious creatives that connects creativity with the heart and soul. I'm Michelle Walker, and I'm here with my creative soul sister, Jennifer Ruth Russell. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Michelle. How wonderful to be here again to talk it all over. And I'm excited yes. today because you've just come back from an art retreat and learned a whole bunch of new stuff. And I think this is a wonderful time to talk about what do you do after you learn something? It's getting into your system, into your bones. And what's next? What do you do next? So why, why don't you start today just telling us about what happened to you and what's going to be next for you? I'd love to. It was a great week. And I always feel a privilege to be able to sit at the feet of someone. In my case, this teacher has been teaching and painting for 60 years. He's an amazing, he's got an Order of Australia medal. His name is Donald James Waters. And interestingly, his style is not my style, but he had some techniques that he wanted to share. And that in itself was a real boon because it meant that he wasn't trying to teach us his style. He was trying to teach us some really useful techniques. And the technique that I learned, just for those who are listening that might be interested, one of the ones that really lit me up was working with charcoal on canvas. And previously, because charcoal is so dusty and powdery, as soon as you hit it with anything like paint, you, you know, you make a big mess and it's really hard to hold the material on the surface without it getting smudged, without it kind of making marks that you don't want to make. So how do you make the marks with the charcoal and not lose them? And he taught us that. So I'm going to do a little YouTube video just about the technique for those who might be interested specifically acknowledging Donald's work in that. But what I loved was being able to put aside what I would normally do and just be led and have someone say, okay, mm. do this one step. Okay, do this next step. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting and what was a bit uncomfortable is that I produced something that was nothing like me or nothing like what I would consider to be me in my artwork because I was following a process and in a way, that's a bit crazy because, of course, it's me. It's my marks. It's my energy that goes into the marks. And so it does open up a new path, potentially, or a new opportunity. So I found it, it was delightful. And I'm just picking on one particular technique that he shared just so people can, who are listening can have a bit of a feel for it. But it really was a challenge to just follow along. But it's a challenge I love. And it was a challenge to mm -hmm. not be too reactive to the end product, which might, in my case, was radically different from what I would consider is my style. So now I've got the path, which is what do I do with this? The new thing. So, yes, I, I loved that you shared it just a little bit of the process of at least one of the pieces you did on your YouTube channel. I'm just going to say that out loud so everybody knows they can go and check that out because it was fascinating to see how you began and what happened as you ended up, uh, because I saw you bringing in your usual technique, you know, that you've been using a lot lately with the charcoal. And it was fascinating to watch the process. It's, <laughs> it is a blending. And I, I love that you noticed that because 
I do a lot of script writing onto my canvas, but I use different materials, not charcoal, because charcoal is too movable. And now I've got this capacity to do it with the charcoal, which I love. So that aspect of what he taught us, the whole writing on the canvas thing, is something that I've been doing for years. And I love it. There's there's a term for it. It's called asemic writing, which means that you can't actually read the words, but it becomes a beautiful field of texture. Um, so he used it as a diary. It's a vibration. It's a vibration. Yeah, it's an energy. It's a, mm-hmm. Yes. It was very much from his perspective, which is something that I align with, is that, you know, it's a starting point for a work. And there's many ways to start a canvas. But that is a great way. And I've done something similar, but with a different perspective and a different, I guess, focus when I did the cover of your third book, Empowered Prayer. The Empowered Prayer, yes. I actually used acrylic ink using an ink dropper and I wrote the entire conclusion chapter onto the canvas underneath the painting, which had meaning. And you and I talked about that. And that was, you know, that seemed really appropriate as a way to start. So it's powerful. Yeah. And I think it's this rolling process, isn't it, of where we, as creatives, we have an existing practice. And every now and then we reach out and look to learn from someone else. What about you with your practice with music and songwriting? How does this idea fit for you? And how how is it kind of showing up for you at the moment? Well, you know, when you were speaking, I was remembering how important it is to get into the beginner's mind, you know, to get in that place of surrender to someone else's teaching. I went to a fabulous school here in LA and I was like a sponge. I wanted to learn everything, but I saw people come in that were like, I know everything already. You don't have anything you can really show me. And they didn't really get much out of the school, right? But I got so much because I was hungry. I was ready. I was like a sponge. And to me, that is one of the most important things when you're ready to learn something new, which I think we should do often, uh, because it really opens up the door for you to really surrender into something that might may not be that comfortable. And it's definitely not you're used to, whatever you're used to, the thing that you're used to doing. And to me, it's one of the most exciting places to be. And I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, I think it's time for me to step into somebody else's instruction as well, which I like to do once in a while if it's not on the piano. Right now I'm trying to, you know, beef up my ukulele and it's time. I've been playing the ukulele since I was a kid, but I put it away for too long right now. I need to have somebody to instruct me other than my beloved Michael, who plays a guitar and knows everything. <laughs> I need I need someone that, that would have a, it's their own approach. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna start looking for them because I think it's very valuable to step out uh, because you will become changed. And you yeah. know that maybe just a little tiny bit to the left or to the right that you're gonna be changed, but it's gonna influence you you know, it's going to make me a better songwriter. It's going to make me more interesting. With music, it's a little different because we're always listening to how people are doing what they're doing. Lately, we've been going through tons of African music. I love listening to African music. And it's so interesting, the intricacies of the rhythm and and a lot of animal sounds, a lot of, <gasps> you know, a lot of yeah, breathing yeah. in the rhythm. And it's just so, I love it. Just eating that up um, <laughs> and wanting to incorporate it you know, more and more. And so 
when you when you listen, what are you listening for? And what are you doing with the information? It's just grist for the mill. You know, it's like, let's bring it in. It's always interesting. And sometimes it's just because you want to experience music. But but most of the time, because I'm a musician and songwriter, I'm listening to what's the form of the song? You know, what are the techniques that they're using? What's the motif? It's usually in music, as an art, you have a motif that you're continuing throughout that naturally appears. And then it's just that wonderful place of just letting go of it all and just trying to absorb it as a piece of music and not get into your head and into the technique at all, (laughs) you know. But I do think that being a learner, I want to be a learner my whole life. You know, I want to be teachable my whole life. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. I think one of the things that have changed for me with the social media, with YouTube and Instagram, the Reels and IGTV, is I can now watch someone painting. I can now watch them do their process. So instead of it being a fixed final product, I can physically sit and watch someone, how they put their marks, um, what colors they choose. And that is an incredible thing. So it makes a static painting very dynamic. You were saying about sitting and listening to the music and thinking about the composition or the form and the motifs and whatever the rhythm. I've almost got the insight into a painting these days through those portals, if you like, being able to watch Mm. the unfolding of someone painting and how they go through their process. And that spurs me to see things. Oh, yeah, I really like that. And oh, yeah, I already do that. And oh, she does that with it or he does that with it afterwards. You know, it's kind of that that reveal. You know, it's an absolute privilege to be able to see what people share. I think there's a trick, though, and that's not to get too absorbed and too, (laughs) what's the word, infatuated with what other people do because it can take you Mm. off your game, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's almost like, you know, Pinterest porn where you're just pouring through image after image after image for visual artists and not looking at it in a discerning way and not thinking about, well, how does this, Mm. you know, how can this roll into my practice? And I think while I abandoned or I tried to abandon my usual practice while I was away for the week retreat, I'm also thinking, making notes. So I took my sketchbook and I took notes of some of the key points that were shared. I took notes of some of the things that I experienced or things I really loved and I didn't want to forget. Um, And so, you know, kind of being that student that takes notes and is discerning about what of all this you know, amazing amount of information and knowledge really lands and is relevant for my practice. Yes. How to keep listening to your own, your own voice, you know, your own ideas and and honoring them because it is so easy to get influenced by other people. If you want to be, you know, I mean, if you're not careful, because to me as artists, we're going to be continually asked to grow and to be true to yourself, I think is really important. Be true to your artistry and what you like. The, the worst thing you can do, I have learned, okay, I, I, the worst thing, I, let me just put it really personally. The worst thing I can do is take a baby song that hasn't quite finished yet and ask somebody else their opinion of it. That is the worst thing I could ever do. It was the, I need to really protect it like a baby until I get it to that place where I feel really good about it and I feel strong about it. And then I'm able to open it up and say, hey, I want to I want to play you a new song 
what do you think? And I happen to live with my producers, so I have to be very careful when I do that. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's really important to protect our work and put it out there when you're ready, when you feel ready. And that's it's such a dance and a balance, isn't it? Because we are, you know, you said you're a lifelong learner. I am an eternal student. I could happily move from one class to the next, not all on the same topic and not all on the same thing, but there is a balance there of how we open ourselves up for learning and think about, well, what does that mean? And I think for me, what's happening and this, you know, we've talked about some of this in past episodes, and it's really about having an anchoring into my own practice that comes with a degree of confidence. And I think that confidence has helped me open and and then sort of go back within to my own practice and then lean out and look around and find out who's doing what and but I'm I'm not up for just anything anymore I realize that's something else that's really changed and I'm I'm curious you know I know because I do a bit of teaching I see some people and I know other art friends you know, that have maybe earlier on in their practice and are not as confident or not as settled. And so there seems to be a never ending rolling of classes that they just go from one to the next mm. to the next. Now you can learn a heap. And if that encourages someone to make a lot of art, that's a good thing. What I've noticed, and this has been my own experience to a degree, perhaps earlier on, is really being mindful that I don't sort of abandon myself into the way another artist does their practice. And, mm -hmm. and I think there's no getting around it in when we're first starting out, that's the way it happens. We need to go and learn and we've got to build up a body of knowledge. And with that, we squeeze it out so that it becomes our own. But it's being really careful that that's at top of mind. So I loved surrendering myself to the learning of five days of painting where I literally from eight o'clock in the morning till 4 30 in the afternoon apart from a short break did nothing but so that kind of yeah I all other responsibilities were gone <laughs> they were taken care of by somebody else bless them including Ian love him so I felt that you know there was this real joy of that and what I'm now because it's you know I'm back in the studio this week I'm, luckily, I'm coming back. I'm finishing some works for an exhibition that's coming up, which will have already probably happened by by the time people hear this. But it really feels good because I'm back thinking, I'm writing notes in my sketchbook. I'm still in that really reflective mode, although I'm making, I'm also being probably 50% reflective and 50% in the maker mode. So I'm loving that. And I, I think this, it's a really rich, juicy time. So what can shut that down is if we don't give enough reflective time in our day, in our practice, in the week yeah. following or in the kind of time following, we will lose the mm -hmm. richness of what we learn. This is something that was told to me after taking a year. Well, I actually took two intense years of study, one on songwriting and one on keyboards, where we literally, I focused on songwriting for a whole year. And that was just putting out songs, just, you know, learning different techniques. And the second year I took keyboard so I could more execution of what I had learned and playing with jazz bands, with rock bands, with a whole lot of different types of, of musical styles. 
And we were told when we graduated, and I love this, that you're, it's going to take you a while to recover from all this learning. <laughs> and I love that because it was so true. You're going to, it's going to take you a while. In other words, they gave us total permission to have that time that you're talking about of reflection, of absorbing, and even chucking it out the window at some point if you need to, and not follow the rules to, to really kind of stake your claim of who, who you are as a songwriter, as a musician, as an artist, you know? To, to me, I think that's something I'm still asking that question. Is this melody mine? Of course, there's, there's how many songs that have been written, you know how, <laughs> and is this, is this an original, original sound? Of course, because it came through me and I love just allowing it to come up from my heart and through my, my mouth and through, through my mechanism, it's going to have some influence from somebody else because I'm on the earth, but yeah, yeah. yet it's like, now I, I know that's, it feels like me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to parrot somebody else. So that, that process is, um, for me, your, um, point there about being given permission to put stuff aside after intensive learning, that phase is really golden, which is the integration phase. And it's the making that knowledge that someone else's, it's the sort of taking it into your bones and into your heart. And funny that when I finished my fine art degree, which I did as a mature age student, I didn't touch any creativity for about a year. I had a mm. real quiet time. Part of it is that in that sort of formal setup, studying for a bachelor degree and having to hit end of course exhibitions and deadlines and examinations and all the palaver that goes with that, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of added energy and activity going into meeting the criteria of whatever that is needed. But I did, I also think, you know, fine art degree for me was both an utter joy and an utter challenge, especially towards the end, but for different reasons. And I, I bumped into, actually was running, <laughs> back in my consulting land, I was running a beautiful community forum for the place where I lived, different areas of the community coming together to talk about the value of water. So we had our First Nation traditional owners telling stories of the swamp where City Hall is now built and the bush hens and the wildlife that used to be in that area. And, you know, like for people who grew up in Brisbane like I did, and that's Brisbane, Australia, it's, it's almost inconceivable to think of that swelter of concrete to be once, a, a, you know. And so I had all these different perspectives coming into this forum and one of the one of the participants was an artist and I spoke to her. And she said after her degree, she didn't do art for 10 years. So I think wow. that, you know, we, <laughs> we, we kind of, there's sort of rhythms and patterns and that might be for a different reason. So I'm not suggesting that we were down tools for that length of time. But I think there was something valuable in having swum out into that deep water and played out there for some mm -hmm. time, coming back to the shore and then deciding what the next what the next swim was and where it would take me. So I love that. And I think what's lost when people are perpetually moving from one class to a next is that gap where we integrate, where we reflect, that we really is 
a huge value in what we're investing when we pay for a class is being able to make that process happen and make that techniques our own. So it becomes a new shoot. Where does that new shoot grow? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a really, really wonderful question to ask. Mm. This, I guess that's the question I'm left with now that I'm come, coming back into the studio and what, what of this do I want to focus on? And there was many, many different techniques that I learned last week, but because I picked on the one that I'm probably likely to be focused on, which is charcoal on canvas, one of the other techniques we learned, which was something I'd, I'd built on because I'd learned this from other arenas, is how you take a painting that was finished, that you used to like, that you no longer like, and how does that become the platform, the jumping off point for a whole new painting? And that was a delightful experience as well. And that's something that was probably already close to my practice and I just got an expansion of it in the way that Donald did it. So, you know, yeah, they're the things that I know I'll definitely carry forward. And yeah, hopefully I'll see the, the excitement coming through when you see my next lot of work. Awesome. I can't wait. Would you say he was a good teacher? In many ways, yes, absolutely. Wonderful. He's, yeah, he's enthusiastic about everybody. And I think that is a mm. delight being with someone who not only loves their craft and their practice, but is utterly supportive of everyone in the room at all levels you know um i looked around there were some who had less confidence who really benefited from having someone with so much experience really shine their enthusiasm on them so yeah i i was beautiful having a the time of my life <laughs> <laughs> so yes wonderful i love that we've covered the experience that we have when we dip into learning and being and being taught by others. I think that's such an important mm -hmm. part of our practice. I do too. Thank you. And here's to the ukulele lessons that are coming. <laughs> you have to keep us posted. Maybe there'll be maybe right. there'll be a change in the intro outro music with the ukulele. <laughs> I just don't see how you can take, you know, because a piano, you've got this huge, beautiful instrument with these strings, and you can get a lot of volume out of a piano and ukulele. It's a very small thing. It's only a little piece of wood and three. There's only four strings. <laughs> but I will do my best. I just have to get right now. I'm working on getting my fingers so they're not so so baby like, you know, they get a little calluses on the end. Toughen them up. Excellent. That's right. All right. Well, you come back to us with the next ukulele installment. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for being Thank here you. and having conversation. And thanks everyone for listening. Please um, feel free to connect with both Jennifer and I. The show notes have our ways of connecting, but you can get Jennifer at jenniferruthrussell.com and I'm at michellewalkerart.com. And we hope to see you online sometime soon. Okay. Bye for now. Bye, Jennifer. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Are you going to blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs>